This is the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in the sunny Orlando, Florida. We are glad that you are listening to our weekly podcast. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and challenged by our message today. And may God lead you in the next step of your growth in Him. Here is our future sermon. Amen, church. You know, when you have a big family, it's hard to, to get them together to do anything. This morning, we had to leave the little ones at home. They overslept and then wanted to hurry. You know, sometimes it's, it's, I've been married 23 years and it's still hard. So, you know, you young parents, I understand, but it's hard just getting them together. Yeah, but I'm thankful that my wife was able to um, muster the energy to, to sing with my daughter today. It's, it's a blessing. When I saw her pulling out the ukulele, you know, she's a pianist, and I thought she was going to use the piano. She used the ukulele. There, three of them at home play the ukulele, but it came in quite handy, didn't you think? Yeah, it, it, it was good. It was good. So it's good to be with you, and I thank God for the leaders who preceded me and have shared and have blessed you. And it is always a privilege and an honor to be found here with you, to minister with you, to share with you, to honor God with our praise and our worship. And I want to thank uh, your song service leader too. And um, it's something special every Sabbath when we can come into God's house and just spend time with God. Forget about time. Anybody saying amen? <laughs> Forget about time. Forget about having to go to work. Forget about food. Anybody saying amen? <laughs> but it's good to be here. Because for some of you, you've been through a hard week. And if, like me, you have, the best place to be is church. It's the best place to rest for a while. This is our place where Jesus took the disciples. And you've read in scripture where Jesus, the, the scripture would say something like, Jesus took his disciples across the lake. And they rested for a while. Come on, rest with me from a tough, rough, rugged day. Rest with me from the storms of life. Rest, rest for a little while. And let us recoup, gather our strength again. And be able to leave this sanctuary. And be able to be strengthened and nourished. So that when we meet the adversary again, we will know that we have found strength sitting at the feet of Jesus. Are you with me? There is nothing like it. If you look at your program sheet, there is a, an error, and I'm sure Dr. Ed, Edwards picked that up early. There's a grammatical error in the topic, and that's because I swipe and text. And so I swiped and I text, and it should have been W-H-O-S-E. <laughs> as opposed to who apostrophe is. So y'all disregard that. Y'all know better. All right? Come with me and join me as I read the, the renowned Jewish scholar's work, Rabbi Menachem Pashna, on his popular Jewish website, Shabbat.org. He addresses an age-old question that scholars have been contemplating for centuries. A question that is still on the discussion table 
still being looked at. And that question is simple. Who was the greatest prophet? It is futile, some say, to argue a closed case. After all, Moses, Moses' report card, Moses' report card that is found in Deuteronomy 33 and verse 10 tells us, and there arose no other prophet who was like unto Moses, whom God knew face to face. Mark Brown on his popular website, JesusIsConnection.com, argues that any discussion intending to ascertain the greatest prophet has to entertain important questions, such as, what are the criteria used to establish the greatest prophet? Would you select the greatest prophet in the Bible based on the miracles performed? Would you select the greatest prophet in the Bible because of his or her great feats that were accomplished? What shall we use to decide who is or who was the greatest prophet? Should we say that the results of the miracles they encountered were, can be used as the premise for deciding who was the greatest prophet? Take Moses who led a nation of approximately 6 million men and women and children across the Red Sea, dry land they walked through on, and came across into the desert. Shall we say that perhaps the greatest prophet could be selected based on his military accomplishment against the greatest army that ever lived, the Egyptian army? How can we decide who was the greatest prophet? Maybe we could select the greatest prophet based on that person's unwavering faith. As in the case of the prophet Samuel, who stood tall and stood strong against King Saul. Who was? Who was the greatest prophet? The theologian, Dr. Mark Brown, suggests a short list. He said that it's one of these. It's perhaps Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Jeremiah, Daniel, or Isaiah. Ray Stedman, one of the 21st century's foremost pastors and biblical expositor, chose one from Brown's shortlist, and he simply said, his name means salvation of the Lord. Isaiah, he said, was the greatest prophet. And a superb master of language. So Brown gives the title of greatest prophet to Isaiah. I tend to agree with Brown. And the reason why I agree with Brown is because I look at it in, in, in the light like, like I'm in basketball. Michael Jordan has all the awards. He's retired. He was deemed the greatest. But when I watch Stephen Curry, are you with me? When I watch Stephen Curry, he stirs something special inside of me. This young man prays before he plays. He stands nearly a mile from that thing, a little circle, and he plays best on the pressure. 
Stephen Curry stays a mile away and he puts it in with a swoosh. Not a backboard, not a helper putting it in. He swooshes it all the time. So I see Isaiah like Stephen Curry. You have Michael Jordan. He's great, wonderful. But I like Stephen Curry because he brings excitement to the great game. And so does the prophet Isaiah. It was Isaiah who told us about the fall of Babylon and the fall of, 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 of Assyria. It is Isaiah who brought to us the very important story that a Messiah will come. And that he will save his people from their sin. And it is because of the work of Isaiah that we are, we were, we are able to look forward and reference that Messiah was coming. That's a Stephen Curry for me. It is Isaiah and the great work that he had done. But it was not easy to bring that work. Stephen Curry, when he stands up to shoot that ball... It does just not happen just because it's Stephen Curry. It happens because he practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced all over and over, hours daily. You and I who are Christians, we sometimes take our walk with Jesus for granted. We don't practice and practice and practice. What should we practice as God's children? You should commit to memory the word of God. Each day, you should put his word into your heart so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. Are you with me today? Oh, you should be able to look at John chapter 14 verses 1 to 3 and say something like, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare place for you. And if I go and prepare place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Ah, you should practice. Why should you practice? You should practice to memorize God's word because perhaps a day is coming when you may not have the Bible any longer and you will need some encouragement and things to keep you going while you're going through a difficult time. Some people, when we talk about the coming tribulation upon, I listened to the news when Dr. Ben Carson was running in the election and the primary and, and, and I listened to the reporters as they scoff at the thought that Seventh-day Adventists believe that one day, a day is coming when we shall be persecuted. And I mean, Ben Carson, Dr. Carson, I think he made some errors, but we can overlook those. But they scoffed at what he was saying. But I want to affirm this church today and remind you that there is coming a, a time among God people, God's people when we shall be persecuted for what we believe. Or if you didn't believe that years ago, it's coming it's even closer, closer. You and I will have to stand up for a re and give a reason for our beliefs. No matter how far-fetched you may think it is, no matter how much freedom you may think you have, some of your freedom have already been curtailed under the Patriot Act. The cops can walk into your home. And do a search without a warrant. That was not the case before 
Things are changing. And I'm not one who want to be in politics, but there are some people who are afraid that so-and-so will become president. Oh, I'm scared. No, let them become president because their coming, becoming president will hasten Christ's coming and that's better for me than staying in a world where I have to lock my doors at night. Why be afraid? You're afraid that so-and-so is going to be president. My little daughter, 12 years old, one morning after worship, she said, Dad, where are we going to live if so-and-so becomes president? She said, I know we have some choices, but where are we going to live? I'm sure you too are thinking some of those things. Where are we going to go? You don't have to go anywhere. God is your God. No, no, you, you're not realizing what I'm saying. I am saying to you, you don't have to go anywhere. God is your God. And God will work things out for his children. God controls. He is in control. And no circumstance of life, no election, no individual, I don't care who that person is, can do more than God will permit him or her to do. Our God run things. And so Isaiah's name is powerful. The salvation of the Lord. And my brothers and sisters, I honor God's word. I do believe that Moses was the greatest prophet. But as I said, there is something special about Isaiah that catches my attention over and over again. Bear with me. If you enjoy beautiful rolling cadences and marvelous literary muse, uh, passages, you will enjoy the book of Isaiah. You will enjoy his writing. If you are like Thomas, and need corroboration and confirmation that he is the Christ. The book of Isaiah is your book. If you are strengthened and affirmed through God's promises. Isaiah's writing is so adept and versatile. You can pick a favorite section. Choose a favorite section. My favorite from the collection of the prophet's writing is Isaiah 43. 1 to 5. Open your Bibles with me. Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. And from this text today, we will develop what can be termed as the 10, the 10 promises of Isaiah. Let's read together. Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. But now, come on, saints. Have you found it? If you have, say amen. Okay, let's go. Isaiah 43. But now... And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, you shall not be burned. Uh-huh. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so very much. The 10 promises. Number one, fear not. 2 Timothy 1 and 7 tells us, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And this is the first lesson from Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. Fear not. Some of you are going to bed at night fearful. Fearful about the next morning. What shall I face tomorrow? Perhaps you are in a job. 
in which it has become almost unbearable and intolerable to work. Perhaps you have a neighbor, one who has caused you to be afraid to even come through your door or drive through your garage. Perhaps you are in a marriage that is tormented and broken and you still can't find a way out and you're fearful. Perhaps you're being abused as a spouse or as a child and you have become fearful. The first promise the word of God gives us today is fear not. Why? Because I am with you. In our tragedies and our circumstances of life, sometimes we have forgotten that God is still with us. Fear not, my friends. Fear not. God wants us to walk in faith, not in fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear cannot live where there is faith. Faith cannot work where there is fear. God's love casteth out all fear. He couldn't collect his rent. He was living in Connecticut. And he had a three, you know, up north, they have these three-story homes. And each month, he has tenants in the house. And each month, his rent was, his, his mortgage was becoming due. And he was fearful because he didn't want his credit affected. He didn't want, he could, he was fearful. He wasn't able to take care of his family. He was fearful. And so one night in fear, he went out and torched the house. Torched it. Brother Kai, he lit the house with the people in it. He was afraid. And when he lit that house, most of the people were able to escape, but there were two elderly folks. And two babies that got stuck on the second floor. And the five people were calling, come, it's okay. We have a, something here that you could jump, jump. And you don't expect an 88-year-old woman is going to jump out of any second floor. But guess what? The house burned to the ground. And four people were killed. And so the next morning he drove by just to see that it was all over. And when he drove by, he realized that it was in fact burnt to the ground. But guess what happened? They started an investigation. This is a Christian young man that made a poor choice because of fear. And when he did, the investigation showed that it was an arson, an act of arson. And they started investigating and it came right back to him. He is now serving four life sentences because of that choice. You and I must understand that our life circumstances must never overwhelm us. To the extent that we cannot reach out to God. Four life sentences. He got 130 years, Sister Heron. 130 years. No matter how healthy he is, he could not outlive that. Fear. Fear cripples us. Fear causes us to do strange things. Even when we know God. So God is here calling our attention to the important fact that we must not fear. I am your God. You can trust me. Number two, I redeem you. You are redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 22 says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgression and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, 
For I have redeemed thee. Some of us have gone astray and have made wrong choices and have lived our own lives and have disregarded God's word. And God is saying to thee, come back. For I have redeemed you. Come back because I love you. I told you the last time I was here, I grew up in a church in which I felt that God just was just waiting to kill me. I don't know if you've ever had that experience when you were growing up. But the priest would tell me, you know, you sinned. And you are just thinking that God wants to destroy you. But when I grew up and I studied theology, I realized that God is chasing after, reaching out to us, trying to save us. In spite of our life circumstances, God has redeemed you from your sin. You should not be holding on to the guilt that you're walking with. You have been redeemed. He bought us back with his blood. He went clear to hell for us and defeated the devil and death on his term. Jesus overcame death, the grave and hell. So that we might have life and have it more abundantly. My brothers and sisters, I stop by today to remind you of these promises. Because we are living in an age like the prophet Isaiah, an age of uncertainty. An age of political dismay. An age of economic turmoil. An age of problems in homes and difficulties in school. And children are unsure about their future. But I stop by to remind you that we can still trust in the promises of God. I stop by to remind you that you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, not Mohammed. You have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the one who died on Calvary, that you might live again. Does that mean anything to you? I think I told you some time ago about a physician friend of mine who one day looked at me and was asking me how in life... You people could be worshipping Jesus. He's just a man. You know the Muslims respect Jesus as just a good prophet. And this guy looked at me, good friend, but, but, but not wise at all. He looked at me and he said, how could you be worshipping a man? Jesus was just a man. And right away the spirit put in my heart and I turned to him and said, name me one other man you know that rose from the grave. My brothers and sisters, we must be able to recognize the value of what we have. And as he is criticizing Jesus, he does not know that in North Africa and Asia and in the Middle East, there are many Muslims who are coming over to Christianity. In our church, we have a leader who was born in a, a very well-established and well-renowned Muslim family in Senegal. And he converted to Christianity. He's seven Adventist. He taught me when I was at Oakwood. And he travels the world and ministers to Muslims. And there are many Muslims who keep the Sabbath. Did I ever tell you the story of the Muslim, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the missionary that came to the seminary when I was there and, and shared with us that, that he was working in North Africa. And while there, uh, one morning, an imam came to him. An imam said to him, I want to talk to you about something. But I don't want you to tell anyone. He said, last night, I had a dream. An angel came to me in that dream. And the angel told me that we should start keeping the Sabbath. You know the Muslims worship on Friday. Do you know that? Yes, they do. 
So he said that an angel came to him in the night and told him that he and his congregants, let's just say congregants, must start worshiping on Sabbath. He said that when he woke up, he jumped up and he didn't know what to do. And, 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 and he decided that he has to pray about it. But when he prayed, guess what? They had a meeting. Every week, they have village meetings. And all the imams from 12, from, from 12 other areas would come together and join and they would talk about things that their people need and the spiritual things and development and so on. And when he got to the meeting, the spirit said to him, the imam, tell the people what I told you. And he said to the missionary, I, I, I just said to myself, I can't do that. They may kill me. Tell the people what I told you. You know, a lot of times God speaks to us. And we fail to share what God says. But you are agents of God. And you must represent God. Tell the people. So the imam started. He lifted his hand and he said, last night I had a terrible dream. Well, it's not terrible, he said to them. Because it was a bad dream. It was terrible because God told me. He sent an angel. And he told me that I need to tell my people about the Sabbath. The missionary said when he said that, he was waiting to hear what if they, they were stoning him and he had to run. And <laughs> but one by one, the imams raised their hand and they said, I had that dream too. Let me tell you something. Some of you have been in Christianity so long, you're beginning to doubt the truth about the gospel. You have been around so long. You have suffered so long. You've seen so many ills. That you don't know how to believe. One by one, the imams raised their hand and they said, I had that dream too. Guess what? In North Africa, all those 12 villages of Muslims are keeping it. You know why we become complacent? We're too happy. We have too much at our disposal. If you can't find food, go on welfare. Where I come from, we didn't even have welfare. My mother used to wake up. 4.30 every morning, and I would hear her praying for breakfast. And by the time we get out, breakfast was there. I am talking to you because you and I must develop our faith to the extent that nothing can deter us. The prophet Isaiah that I'm sharing with you, the wicked king Manasseh took Isaiah. And Isaiah was running from him and his soldiers and hid in a tree. And what that wicked king did to the man of God, he closed up the tree with Isaiah in it. Must, be, must have been a bobob tree or something. And then he sawed the tree in half with the man of God in it. God never said that we will not experience difficulties as his children. He will not say that you won't necessarily get sick. But he said that I will be with you. When thou passest through the water, uh, they shall not overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, you shall not be burned. Because I have redeemed you. She, some could say that she lived her life. She was 65 years old. She was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And my job was to go in and help her to accept death. Most people who have been diagnosed are not ready to die. And God has built us, each one of us, with a spirit in which we always have a desire to achieve and to plan. 
So it fascinates me when I talk to people who are about to die. And they tell me the plans they have. God built us like that. And so her, her plan was that she wanted to expand her assisted living facility. And when I went to visit her with her, she was explaining to me all these grand things she intends to do. But the doctor says she has six weeks. She was not dismayed. She was not broken. She kept on planning. She showed me the blueprint. She showed me everything, the financial plan. But she's about to die in six weeks. And Brenda planned two weeks past. Planned three weeks past. Planned four weeks past. And before she died, we had a meeting. And I said, well, what if your plan doesn't come to fruition because you die, as the doctor said? She said, that's all right, because I've lived for Jesus. And whatever happens after that, it's okay. Because I know that I live forever. One day, to the date that the doctor told her she has six weeks, she died. You know what she did before she died? She would walk from house to house with little tracks that she invested in, share with families, leave them in homes, teach people about Jesus. And guess what? At her funeral, people from the community came and they were talking about Brenda, what she did for them. You know, sometimes we are in our little cocoon, our little places, and we forget that there's a world around us that needs Jesus. Isaiah was well aware of his environment. Isaiah was well aware of God's expectation for him. And so the man of God lived every moment in urgency. And he lived those promises that God gave to him. Y'all, I've preached at so many Seventh-day Adventist church, I know when the saints are ready to go home. So let me tell you a story and close. The old farmer from South Alabama had one son. His wife died. His son, this old man, this old farmer was from a place called Sawyerville in Alabama. I've been to Sawyerville. And it's literally, when you enter Sawyerville, it's literally as if you had gone back 20 years in time. So when the young man got a scholarship to Harvard's business school, he was glad to leave. And the old man, according to Larry Watson, he tells us that the old man didn't hear from his son after the first year. He didn't hear from his son after the second year. And so he got his old F-150 Ford pickup truck. And from Sawyerville, he jumped on the highway up to Massachusetts. I want to see my son. In the story, Pastor Watson told, he said that the old man went from highway to highway, an old Christian farmer. And as he drove along those lonely highways, he sang the beautiful songs of Zion. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege, what an awesome privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Didn't know that whether he was not aware of his son's condition. He didn't even know if his son was alive. Story said he entered Cambridge and Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then he was moving over and he got to the only address he had for his son, which was Harvard's business school. Didn't even know where he lived. And he got the door and the first person coming out was a professor and he said in his southern accent do you know my son Jimmy the prophet said I mean anybody here could be could be Jimmy tell me about your son 
or his Jimmy Rettemeyer. Professor said, no, I can't help you. He walked from building to building on Harvard's campus trying to find his son. When the son met him and they sat together, he asked his father, why did you come to see me looking like this? Remember, this is his only son. The old man was broken. He said, son, but this is, this is how I dress. And you know that. I stay on the farm. I have my boots. I don't think he should have gone to Harvard in those boots, though. Those water boots. No. He should have dressed up a little more. But the story said that the young man looked at him and he said, you look untidy. Please, come. And he took him to the library. And as they were walking over to the library, the old man said, son, are you ashamed of me? He said, no, dad, I just don't want people to see you. The old man started singing, Jesus is all the world to me. I have no better friend. They walked slowly to the library. And as they were entering the door, the old Christian man shouted, Hallelujah, Jesus, I'm thankful that you love me. With all your love. And the young man was, Stop, shut up. Stop it. You can't be doing like you do in the old church in, in Sawyerville. This is Harvard. And so he put the old man in the library to sit down so he can be quiet among books because the old man could hardly read. But the old man sat there and he went to school, to class. And the old man picked up a geography book. And when he opened it, he read a sentence that said that there is a section in the sea that's deeper than Mount Everest. And he shouted in Harvard's library, Hallelujah! I don't know where his son was, but he ran over again and he tried to shut his father up. He said, what's wrong, dad? Why are you shouting? He said, I'm shouting, son, because I just read that the deepest part of the ocean is deeper than the height of Mount Everest. And God had promised me that he would place my sins in the deepest part of the ocean and he'll remember it no more. So I'm rejoicing. Oh, that's good, dad, but, but be quiet. This is Harvard. He closed the book, took it from the old man. And the old man, had nothing around him, so he took a few steps over, and there was a New Testament. Who tell him, do that? He picked up the, old, the New Testament, and he went through leaf by leaf, and he came to a place called John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the old man shouted, Hallelujah, praise Jesus. Son ran over again. Stop it, Dad. You're irritating me. What's happened again? All you have is a little New Testament. What, 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 what's, what's so intriguing about it? He said, Son, you'd love this. In that text, there is something in John 3 and 16, the old man said. And it says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, whosoever son believes in him shall have eternal life. And that's why I'm jumping for joy. Because there is another father who has a son that is willing to save the world while my son has rejected me. Young man started crying. Don't worry, it's all right. Because God loves me, the father says. 
God has redeemed me. It's all right. And son, whether you go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, we all need Jesus. And these are the words I want you to remember today. That we all need Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care what accomplishments you have. The bottom line is, we all need Jesus. I see people die every month, and every one of them need Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I conclude this message today just to remind you, there are promises that we have. That God will come again and take us to a place where we shall never die. There shall be no more tears. No more sorrow. No more suffering. For the word of God said those things will be passed away. Oh, when I get to heaven, I plan to have a good time. I don't know if he's going to have chariots or Lexus. But what I do know is that he has promised. And Mrs. White corroborates it. She said that when she was in vision, she was taken to heaven and she was shown a banqueting table that all of us will have a seat. We will be able to eat with Jesus. And I have a few questions for him. Why did you save me, this boy from that little backward village on a little 108 square mile island? Why did you redeem me? And Jesus, as confident as he would, he is, would say, look at me and he will say to me, I save you because I love you. Jesus loves you, 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 you. He loves you. He loves you with his everlasting love. He died for you, all of you. And today, I want to be the first to say, Jesus, I'm on your side. I don't care what happens around me. You all do what you have to do. Take whatever White House you, you want. I'm trusting in Jesus. Because he has a big white house up there for me. I'm trusting in Jesus. Because when I get there, I'll never grow old. No more aches in my knees and pain. I won't see people die of cancer. We'll live forever. Play something for me, sis. We'll live forever. And today, in an act of rededication, I want to be the first in here to say, Lord, mold me. Fashion me. Into your own likeness and into your own desire. I want to be with you. Is there anybody else who wants to say that? Anybody else? Just stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. We're going to be praying now. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Bow your heads. I'm going to make a second a call. There is somebody here who has never accepted Jesus as his or her personal savior from sin. And today that person wants to commit his life or her life to Jesus. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You want special prayer today because you want to commit yourself to Jesus. Come forward. Come here. Come stand by me. I'm going to be praying for you. Is there such a one? Step out. Step out. And come. I'm going to be praying for you. Come. Come. Don't be afraid. Come, my friend. Come on. Where's that person? Come on. You know you need to move. You need to come. You need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. I'm inviting you to join me here. Step out. Step out. Come on. Come on, come on. You need special prayer. Come on, come on. We're going to be praying now. Come on, come my friend. Come on, come on, come on. Perhaps you've been a member of this church or the Seventh Adventist Church. Or perhaps you're a practicing Christian and somehow you went astray. You have not been walking as you ought to. 
And today you want to recommit to Jesus Christ. You want to say, Father, I'm recommitting to you. I'm giving my life afresh to you. Come out. I'm going to be praying for you. Step down here. Yes, come on. Anybody else? Come on. You want to recommit? Praise God. Somebody else? You want to recommit? You want to recommit to Christ? You say, Father, I want to renew my covenant with you. Come on. Don't be afraid. Christ says, he who fails to testify of me before men, him will I fail to testify of before my heavenly Father. Come, my friends. We don't have much time. Come on. Step out. I'm going to be praying for you. Is there such a one? Come on. Don't be afraid. Come on. Yes, come on. Come on. We're going to be praying. Prayer of recommitment. Prayer of dedication. Praise God. Come on. Somebody else. Come for Jesus. Come on. We're going to be praying. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. We're going to, we're going to be praying now. But I'm giving you a few more seconds to come. Come on. Step out. Don't look at anybody else. You make that decision for Christ today. That's important. You commit yourself to Christ today. Come on. One more person before we pray. One more person. One more person. One more person. One more person. Praise God. Praise God. Yes, we're committing. We're committing ourselves to Christ. Quickly, quickly. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. We've got to do this. We've got to do this for Jesus. Praise God. Somebody else needs prayer. Come on. Don't be afraid. Anybody else? I'm going to be praying now. Right now. We're going to be praying. Is Sister Wanda here? What's it? Yes or no? I can't see. <laughs> okay, Dr. Edwards. I'm going to ask Dr. Edwards to pray a prayer of dedication for you. So if you, if you have not yet moved and you know you ought to, because you know that you need prayer, even as I pass the microphone to him, step forward and join us in prayer. Praise God. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads as we offer a prayer to our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, once again, we come before you in prayer, thanking you for this opportunity to call upon your name. Lord, you've been there for us in the past, and we know you'll be there for us in the present and even in the future. Lord, these people standing before you have recommitted their life to you. Lord, they said that they're willing to turn aside from the ways of the world, to turn aside from the temptations of the devil, and to give themselves unreservedly to you. Lord, we know the only way that they can make it to that narrow path that leads to life is eternal is by allowing the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. Lord, any time one of your people turns away from the devil and commits their life to you, the devil comes after them with great vigor. But Lord, you said that there is victory in Jesus. You said, Lord, that if a, if a young man, 17 years old, can slay a, a Goliath, that you will give them the power to overcome the trials and tribulations that may come their way. Whatever it may be, a family member, a friend, a person on the job, you will give them to, the wisdom to respond in the right manner so that they can reflect Jesus Christ. Lord, Western abound, you tell us that grace much more. And we're claiming that promise, Lord, that you are not slack concerning your promise as some men count slackness, but you're long-suffering to us with not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as David repented of the sins and you called him a man after God's own heart, we pray today that all of us in this place will repent and turn away from our sin, a 180-degree turn, and Lord, that you will call each of us your child 
a person after your own heart. Lord, when we leave this place, help us never to relieve, to leave your presence, but help us to leave transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to leave with that power that you promised, Lord, that power and love so that we may make a difference in this and somehow hasten your... We thank you for the speaker who has conveyed your words to us. We ask that you bless him and his family. Bless this church in a special way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.